Tonight's second reading comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and y'all can find it on page 2 of your bulletins. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord approves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we bow our hearts before you. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? And we ask that you would come and feed us as we sit at your feet. May your words not only inform our minds, but shape our hearts to become lovers of Christ, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. We are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we have said many times that Proverbs teaches us how to live well. In fact, one of the theologians put it this way, he said, it is the art of living well. And so even as we engage the book of Proverbs, we're doing so with understanding that it really speaks to every aspect of our lives, that the book is concerned about how we deal not only with God, but with neighbor, with community, with society, and all, uh, so on and so forth. So we want to continue that even tonight as we talk about the heart of wisdom. How many of you guys know what WGTS is? You guys know what WGTS is? Okay, like three of you? Okay. You're, you're wondering, what government agency is that? Uh, it is not. Um, WGTS is a local Christian radio station. And uh, every now and then, they have this game called Bible or Not Bible. You guys know this? Okay. Basically, they will read a verse from Proverbs uh, and uh, some platitude or... I think straight out of a fortune cookie, and you have to guess if that thing they just quoted is from the Bible or not. And uh, I was under immense pressure when we were together as a family in the car. My children turned to me and said, let's see, pastor, if you get all of these right. Oh my goodness. I prayed very fervently, and I'm not going to tell you the results, okay? (laughs) I thought we would play a little game tonight, okay? Okay, so I'm going to read you a, a line, a platitude, or a fortune cookie, and uh, you have to tell me, you don't have to say it out loud in case you get it wrong and you get all embarrassed, right, uh, whether it's in the Bible or not. Okay, first, you ready? Moderation in all things. Bible or not? Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it would be just quiet, internal, you kept it yourself, but... If you're that confident, all right, okay, uh, you're right. It is not in the Bible. 
In fact, it is an extrapolation of Aristotle's teaching on doctrine of means. And you guys probably know that. Okay, let's do a second one. This too shall pass. You're like, Tolkien. Yes, no, it's not Tolkien. This too shall pass. It is not in the Bible. And most likely, it's a reference that comes from a 10th century English poem. Okay? Last one, ready? To thine oneself, to thine own self, I'm sorry, be true. Man, I can't. All right, that's, that's good. Yes, it is Shakespeare, right? All the Hamlet fans are like, no, nah, that's not from the Bible. It's Shakespeare. You're right. Now, I just gave you easy ones, okay? The, the real ones are hard, all right? Um, I gave you easy ones, you know, just to work up the crowd. But sometimes it's confusing because even in these statements, there's a morsel of wisdom there, right? Moderation is good, right? And this too, whatever you're going through, will pass. But the book of Proverbs is not a collection of self-help tips. It is not a collection of sayings that will improve your life to take it to the next level, if you will. And I would argue that if you understand the book well and correctly, it will compel you to turn to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, to behold him and to become like him, so that as you seek to be wise, that you would pursue him with all of your heart. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay? So two things. First, let's define wisdom. What is wisdom? The Hebrew word for wisdom generally refers to one's skill or ability, as in Exodus chapter 31, verse 3, where God gave wisdom to Bazaleel in the construction of the tabernacle. But in Proverbs, wisdom takes on a different characteristic. Theologian J.I. Packer is helpful here, and you have the quote in your bulletin. He defines wisdom, at least wisdom in Proverbs, as follows. The power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. Now, we can spend some time unpacking this, but I want to draw your attention to that one sentence in the middle of the quote where it says, Wisdom, in fact, is the practical side of moral goodness. You see, knowledge deals with uh, facts and skills, but wisdom applies knowledge in skilled and sensible ways that we then demonstrate what is good, true, and right. The author of Proverbs agrees. King Solomon, as he continues his discourse on wisdom in chapter 3, talks about what wisdom looks like in the context of relationships. So two things. First, in our relationship with others, Solomon says, wisdom, or to be wise, is to love others well. We see that in verses 3 and 4. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, Solomon doesn't go into details of how this actually works in individual relationships, He's not like Apostle Paul delineating these things. But he says, in general, in general, 
when you lead with love and humble service and faithfully getting to know and being present with the people that God has placed in your life, that is a good thing. That is a wise thing. In fact, the Hebrew word for steadfast love captures well God's covenantal love for his people. It describes his unfailing, enduring, persistent, and stubborn love that refuses to go away. And in that sense, steadfast love has a similar semantic range as a New Testament idea of agape love. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis defines agape love as divine love described in 1 Corinthians 13. It is the highest and most selfless form of love, he goes on to say. And in all of those ways, agape love is unnatural. Because unlike other loves that's contingent upon the object or the person, agape love loves simply because. It loves the unlovable. It loves the undeserving. It gives all and asks for nothing in return. And it takes great chances and risks the most of loss. And this is the kind of love that God has shown to us. It's the steadfast love of the Lord, the Bible goes on to say, never ceases. And that informs then how we ought to love one another in the community of God, and even those outside. Wisdom then counsels us on how and when to be patient and kind to others, even when they cut you off Tuesday morning. I needed this really badly Tuesday morning. Wisdom encourages us to be humble and persevere with those who test our patience. And wisdom shows us how to be present with those who are hurting or weep with those who are weeping rather than fixing with a simple solution. Wisdom slows us down, and it gives us perspective. It reminds us of the love that we have been loved with and compels us to love in that very way. The New Testament writer would say, we love because he first loved us. And this is exactly Solomon's point. When he says that we ought to remember steadfast love and faithfulness of God and wear it as an ornament around our neck to write them on the tablets of our hearts, it has, double, it has a double meaning. It certainly means that we display God's love. We show it off like we would an ornament around our neck. We place it so people can see it. And in the same way, we love, we care for others, we serve those around us. And we put God's love on display. But the second meaning is that we remember God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us. The double meaning is, yes, you display it. You put it to show, off, show it off. But other meaning is to remember it. And they go hand in hand because both are true. In order for us to display and show off God's love, we need to first remember and be formed by it. And that's what Solomon is saying. He's saying wisdom is remembering God's love for you and letting that shape you so that you can put that love on display for others to see. He then goes on to say in verses 5 and 8 that wisdom, secondly, in the context of our relationship with God, is trusting in God. 
With others, it is loving them well, but with God, it is trusting in Him. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What does it mean to trust in God? The Hebrew word for trust means basically to lie flat on your face, to make yourself vulnerable and helpless before another. It's an act of total surrender to say that I know you can take full advantage of me and even harm me, but I will trust you in this way. To lean is simply to rely fully on someone or something. And most recently, I was reminded of Proverbs 3, 5, when uh, Glenn and I were in Dallas for our denomination's General Assembly. For those of you who know uh, Glenn, you know that driving and Glenn do not go together, okay? And uh, he insisted on driving. I don't know why, but he insisted on driving. And uh, so we decided that uh, that's how it was going to be. He was going to drive, and I was going to tell him where to go. And uh, since we were in Texas, we thought, well, let's grab Chick-fil-A, right? Because nothing says Texas like Chick-fil-A. So while heading to our destination, uh, we were helplessly dependent on the GPS. I mean, we held on to its every word like there were Ten Commandments. (laughs) And I was a prophet to... Glad. I would convey every word that it said, every instruction, and I would faithfully and passionately tell Glenn to keep his eyes on the road, stop talking, and drive. When it told us to turn left, we turned left. When it turned, uh, told us to turn right, we turned right. When it told us to make a U-turn, we didn't question it. Google Maps was like our Lord and Master. We served it faithfully. And I think as we... Picture what it's like to trust in the Lord, to lean fully onto Him. It is that kind of idea that we don't go halfway or partially, but to go fully all in because we know that we, on our, by ourselves, we don't have the answers, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the strength. And that's why Solomon here in verse 5 and 6 exhorts us to trust in the Lord, to not lean on our own understanding. Not to be wise in our own eyes, but lean into him who is trustworthy. If God is who he says he is, that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, it makes sense then for us as God's people to place all of our trust and confidence in him and his word, even when we don't fully understand why. I know the tendency, and I sense it in my own heart. I want to know why I can trust the Lord. Yes, I see what you say, but why? Give me a good reason, because right now, I only see in part. And I don't see the full picture of what you're doing. And I sense the hesitation in my own heart when I have to trust and lean fully onto Him. But Solomon says, wisdom is trusting in the Lord, leaning fully onto Him when it's not popular, when it doesn't always make sense, and when you're not fully sure as to why. And he goes on to say in verse 9 that the asset test of trusting in God is shown in generosity. 
In verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. It's been said that the last thing to convert is our wallets. That we're willing to give our time to sing these songs, to even pray and, and read the word of God. But finances, no God, that's off limits. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm willing to give you a Sunday. I'm willing to give you a weeknight for a community group. But my money, certainly not. And that's why I think for us, as we think about trusting in the Lord, we have to think about our financial management, our spending habits, because these two things are good indicators of our theology, believe it or not. What we believe, what we love, what we trust, okay, are reflected in how we spend our money. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Solomon goes on to say in verse 6, to acknowledge God in all our ways is more than just turning to him or seeking his input when we're confronted with a major life decision before us. I think it's true that many of us, we go through life without acknowledging God. We might pray every now and then. We will even come to church. But we will never acknowledge God in all of our ways. Because that's too inconvenient. He might ask us to do something we don't want. And we certainly don't want to be bothered because we have our own agenda. But here, Solomon goes on to say that true wisdom and trusting in the Lord, right? Leaning fully onto Him requires that we acknowledge God in all of our ways. What does that mean? It means that we invite God into every aspect of our lives and let Him speak into it. That we don't tell him what he should say. And we don't shush him when we feel like it's a little too much. It's getting too personal. No, but we invite him into our lives. We let him speak. And we commit to walking in his ways. It is this idea of being in fellowship with God. To acknowledge him is to walk with him. to, To have fellowship with him. To be in relationship with God. Some of the... Christians in past generations call this practicing the presence of God. And basically, it's this discipline where you are mindful of God, His presence, His promise, His truth. And you begin to orient your life in a way that reflects all of those things. And Brother Lawrence, who wrote a book on practicing the presence of God, shares how even when doing the dishes, he would invite God into the kitchen So that as he is serving others, that he will remember Christ, the servant who gave his life for us. To worship in the form of dishwashing. And that he would commit his heart to serving God and others in this way, the way that he has been served. And I think this is what it means to acknowledge God in all of our ways. That we not only say, oh yeah, you're there, but no, we give our hearts And we commit to orienting our lives according to his way and his word. Second, if that is wisdom, how do we obtain it? Wisdom in the context of relationship is to love others and trust in him. If that's wisdom, how do we obtain wisdom? How do we get it? The answer might surprise you. Worship. Worship. Renowned Old Testament theologian Bruce Walkie is helpful here. 
He says the fear of the Lord should be distinguished from fear of God. And it's not a trembling dread that paralyzes action, but neither is it a polite reverence. Rather, the fear of the Lord expresses reverential submission to the Lord's will that characterizes a true worshiper. The fear of the Lord expresses reverential submission to the Lord's will that characterizes a true worshiper. In other words, worship is the key to obtaining wisdom because as we worship, and worship not in the narrow sense as we sing praises to God, but in the broader sense of committing our lives to Him. In view of His great mercy, we commit our hearts, our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice. That kind of worship, God then inclines our hearts to fear of the Lord by recalibrating our desires and reorienting our loves so that before we fix our gaze on Him and we offer worship from our hearts, maybe our hearts were all over the place. We were listening to the things of this world, chasing after the, the idols that this world promises will give us a better life. But as we worship, what happens is that God enters that space and He begins to work in our hearts. See, worship opens you up to the things of God. And and He will come and He will reorient all of those things. And when that happens, the fruit of, of worship is willing and joyful submission to God. And when we learn to willingly and joyfully submit ourselves to the Lord, then we long for, there I say we hunger for God's wisdom. You see, it's not enough that we go in pursuit of wisdom. It's going to be helpful, maybe. But maybe it might just guilt us because we can't live up to those standards. And before long, we're going to get tired and weary and we're going to give up that whole effort. But if we begin with worship and our hearts are transformed so that we then become hungry for the things of God, then we would delight in his wisdom, his way for us. It is true, we become what we worship. And that's why in pursuit of wisdom, we must begin with worship. Because worship then compels us to choose wisdom, wisdom's way, and to enjoy the fruit of wisdom which is peace and joy promised in the book of Proverbs. The epilogue of the first section of the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, ends with an invitation from ladies, wisdom and folly. And here, Solomon presents us with two ways to choose from. The way of the wise and righteous, or the way of the foolish and the wicked. But the problem with Proverbs is that it shows us the way and the righteous, but it can't help us to walk in it. It opens the door to say, here it is. This is the pathway to wisdom, to true peace, true joy, to true righteousness, but it cannot enable us to walk in it. In fact, Proverbs exposes our folly and unrighteousness because if we're honest with ourselves, 
we know that we don't always choose wisdom. But thankfully, this is not the end of the story. The story of redemption continues. And in that sense, Proverbs, along with the rest of the scripture, anticipates the coming of the final wisdom of God. One who is greater than Solomon himself, who would not only possess wisdom, but live in that wisdom so that those who don't live in wisdom can turn to him and find mercy and grace to enjoy the fruit of wisdom even when we have not done it for ourselves. That is the gospel message that the book of Proverbs points to. It reminds us, yes, look, learn, and try your best to learn, walk in it, but there is one coming, and you need to place your faith and trust and lean fully into him, and not even the words here in the book of Proverbs. And even as God's people, we know, God knows, we know that we don't always get it right. But the good news continues. God, from time to time, will discipline us as a father disciplines a son so that we, as God's people, can conform into the likeness of Christ, the true wisdom and power of God. And so as God secure, as God's people secure in the finished work of Christ, as we pursue wisdom to grow in it so that we demonstrate and reflect wisdom in tangible ways in this city, we have to begin with worship. As we offer our hearts to true wisdom, Christ himself. And as we do, my prayer is that we will hunger and long for more of Christ. And as we receive more of him, that we then become more and more like him. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your word reminding us that wisdom is Christ himself. That as we gain Christ, we gain true wisdom. And the only way we can really gain Christ is learning to worship, to behold, to adore, to love. And we ask that you would do that in our hearts, first and foremost, so that we would not despise your word, your discipline, but we would receive them humbly, gratefully, and become more and more like Christ. We know you're committed to this work, and so we ask that you would do that even now, we, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.